friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. So we're in a series, Encounters, uh, Beholding the Resurrected Jesus. So we want to see what happened to people when they met Jesus after he raised from the dead. And so if you have your Bible, or if you've got one in the pew, or on your phone, turn to Luke 24. We're going to read verse 13 through 35. It's a beautiful story of a couple walking along a road after Jesus had died on the cross. Verse 13 says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Remember, we see this quite a bit, where Jesus in his resurrected form is able to be seen or not be seen for who he is. There's something different about him now. He asked them, What were you discussing? Uh, What are you discussing as you walk along? That question stopped them in their tracks. It says they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things which have happened in the last few days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, listen to that word, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those uh, with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Man, what a beautiful story. And, and I want to say uh, real quick, what, one of the reasons we want to do this um, series is because we've been in a series about beholding Jesus. We believe discipleship begins with beholding. It starts with a revelation of Jesus. To be discipled by him, you have to come to know him, which means you've got to see him and hear him and understand him according to his word, 
right? His story, not our story that we place on him, but who he is. And what I found as we put this series together, I found this really important thread that Jesus does in the disciples' lives as he appears to them before he sends them off. He gives them the great commission, but he doesn't send them until he's met them in these key areas of their life. Right? And last week we find that Jesus met Mary in her grief. This week we're going to see Jesus meeting the disciples on the road in the midst of disappointment unmet expectations. We're going to see Jesus meet the disciples in a locked room. He meets them in their fear. We're going to see Jesus cook Peter a meal and meet him in his shame. We're going to see Jesus meet Thomas in the midst of doubt. And then we're going to see Jesus meet the disciples and say, wait in the upper room because they were confused about what to do next. They're like, is now the time you're going to restore Israel? He's like, no, no, just wait. So we find Jesus meeting people and I think this is the key to this whole thing, which is Jesus wants to deal with your inner life before he sends you out into the world. And so much of our pain in church has been because we've skipped this step. We get saved, we get excited, a leader identifies talent in you and they're like, go, and we send you out with all of your shame and grief and doubt and confusion and fear. And we bring that stuff into all the relationships we have and things get super messy and super painful. I find it instructive that Jesus says, before I send the Holy Spirit, I've got to deal with some stuff in your hearts. I want to meet you in these places in your life because I need you to be prepared to do the work that I've called you to do. He's like, I'm going to equip you, not just with preaching, casting out demons, doing all this cool stuff that we all think is awesome. He's like, no, no, I'm going to prepare the inside of you to hold the ministry that I've called you to. And I bet if we could all just sit around a fire tonight and tell stories, we would tell stories about how we weren't prepared many times to do things in the church, or we were led by people who weren't prepared to lead us. And we got hurt, we got wounded, and we got mad. We got angry, and we probably did what the disciples did here. They walked away. And that's what we've seen. We've seen a generation of people just kind of walk away from church, mostly because of these kind of issues coming out of our, our inner life. And so what we want for this church is we want to value the process of Jesus. We want people, before you go into leadership and before you impact people and do all the stuff, we want you to walk through a process of healing, restoration. Like knowledge of yourself. Who am I? What's happened to me? How do I process these things? And so this morning, we're going to just work through this story and we're going to deal with what does it look like for Jesus to show up in disappointment? What happens when expectations get unmet? What happens when life doesn't go the way we wish it would? And we find that these disciples, right? What do they do when things don't work out the way they thought they would? They're just moving away. <laughs> like our instant human reaction is just to immediately, when something doesn't go the way we want it to and our expectations go unmet or they actually go in reverse, it's just human nature. We just kind of go go out and we go back to whatever it was before. You see them walking away from Jerusalem. Right? They're just moving away. And then what do we see? We see they, they were standing still. They, they're downcast and they said this word, we had hoped. How many of us could process our lives through those words? I had hoped this job would be it. I had hoped this relationship would work out. I had hoped my family would look like this. 
but it's different. These disciples are battling the sadness of unfulfilled dreams and expectations. And it's interesting because Jesus meets them in this, and it's, and it, it's really it's interesting because they have both like false expectations and real expectations. And, and both of them went unmet. <laughs> and we're going to see Jesus dealing with those things. And sometimes in life, our unmet expectations are actually false expectations that we have to work through, even just how we see things and see people and see God. Ronald Rollheiser is one of my favorite authors. I'm going to quote him a bunch this morning. But he says, we mature by meeting life just as God and nature designed it. So we mature in life by being real about who God is and what the world is. Like seeing it for what it actually is, that we live in a real world with a real God and there's real pain and real suffering and real doubt, real shame, but also real joy, real redemption, real hope, real love. There's all these things and yet we accept the invitations. He says, and accepting there the invitations that beckon us ever deeper into the heart of life itself. So when we run up against the wall of reality, it's an invitation for God, from God to go deeper with him. Not to run away, not to just dwell in disappointment, but to actually go deeper into his heart and his reality. So what do we see? I'm, I, I kind of want to move uh, quick this morning because I feel like the Lord really wants us to respond to this this morning. I think there's just going to be a lot of things that the Lord bubbles to the surface. So what does Jesus do first? What's interesting, he actually confronts their false expectations first, right? They said, you know, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And he's like, he's like, didn't Christ have to suffer? Have you not read the prophets? He's like, why are you so slow to believe? He actually comes against really quickly these false expectations that they have about what life is and what life will be and who Jesus was and what he came to do. Right? And so the first thing that happens as we enter these things, we actually have to come to grips with the things that we've expected in life that were never promised to us. And that most of our frustration in life is unmet expectations, and most of those expectations, many times the people we expected of them, like, they didn't know. <laughs> right? I mean, you've sat down with somebody, well, you didn't do this. You're like, you, you didn't tell me. Like, I, I might have been able to do it if you told me, but even then I might have still failed. Right? But life works better. Uh, Annie's aunt had this statement about marriage. She says, ask for what you want and be happy with what you get. <laughs> Just sets a baseline, right? But if you don't ask for what you want, you can't, be, you can't be unhappy that you didn't get what you want because the person didn't even know. So Jesus confronts their false expectations. What does he do next? He brings the kingdom to bear in their hearts. I love this. It says he taught them about himself in the scriptures. What is the answer to our disappointment and our false expectations is actually him. It's the truth about who he is, about what he's done, about what he's doing, about where he's going. I mean, it like he just brings them to this thing and what he's doing as he's preaching to their hearts, he's restructuring their imagination. He said, your imagination was way too small. You thought this was just about Israel. It's actually about the cosmos. I'm bringing everything I created into order and I'm going to redeem all of it. Jerusalem cannot contain the glory that I'm going to bring. I'm going to have to make a new heaven and a new earth. 
he just meets us in this thing. He restructures their view of God. He's like, the container has to be bigger. You gotta think bigger. Losing is gaining in the kingdom of God because this is bigger than what we thought it, it was. And this is weird because you can see in here Jesus doing a work of deconstruction, which is all the rage today, deconstruction. But I just wanna ask you, because I wanna be really careful. Like, I'm just deconstructing my faith. And I'm like, who gave you permission to do that? Right? Like, if you're deconstructing your faith, that means you're in charge. If Jesus walks you through a process of deconstructing what's happened to you and how you've seen them, and then he restructures and reconstructs, God bless you. That's one of the most amazing processes you can ever go through, is to have Jesus just walk on the road with you and say, let me teach you about myself. Let me take you to the Bible and show you who I am and how you've missed me. But I had this question on my heart this morning. If, if you aren't deconstructing with Jesus, who are you deconstructing with? There's two people at war right now. If you're not deconstructing with Jesus, you're deconstructing with Satan. And he is tricky and he's a liar and he came to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. To take you out of the game. And Jesus says, I'm not scared of your questions. I'm not scared of your doubt. I'm not scared of your disappointment. I'm scared of your grief, shame, all the lies, all that stuff. Bring it to me and let's walk it out. Let's walk it out. I have time for you. He's like, I'm not in a rush. We don't need to go redeem Israel. Let's talk about your shame. Let's deal with that. Let's have a meal together. Let's talk about your doubt. He's like, even like, put your hand here. I'm here. I'm not shy. Jesus brings the kingdom to bear in our hearts. He meets us in these things. And then what he does is he heals our disappointments. And how does he do that? This is so beautiful. He does it through presence and conversation. That's how he meets them. He's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. And we are going to talk about this. Like, and here's the key. If you're going to do that with Jesus, you need time. You need a walk. You need just like consistent time with him in his presence where you can speak to him and he can speak back to you. You open the Bible. But I love that he says, just get in my presence and let me speak. Bring me your disappointments. Bring me your unmet expectations. Bring me all that stuff and let me talk to you about it. Marie, a couple quotes from Ronald Rollheiser again, because I think these are just so powerful, because it just kind of peels the onion back. Um, and um, I'm going to quote another guy today, Rob Reamer, who wrote the book Soul Care. And he, he said, you know, managing your pain in life is like, like trying to float on a beach ball. Anybody ever, anybody ever doing that? You try to stay on top of it, and you like try to push it, and he's like, the more you try to push it down, the, the more squirrely it gets. He says, the problem is when it pops out, you have no control about where it goes. And that's what happens with our pain, our disappointment, this stuff. As long as we're trying to push it under the surface, you might manage for a little while, but all of a sudden it pops out, and it ruins a relationship in an instant. Because that pain's meant to be dealt with, not pushed under the surface. God wants to meet you there. And so as we live, can I just say, we've got a lot of young people at our church right now. Can I just, can I make you a promise? You will deal with disappointment in your life. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. You're going to deal with disappointment and some of it feels like it will kill you. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill your marriage. It's going to kill your kids. It's going to kill your business. It, it's, and yet God is God. And his promise is I can meet you in the midst of all those things and you can prosper and thrive and grow, right? In the midst of any situation that I'm involved in. 
So Ronald Rollheiser says this. He says, this torment is generally an undertow to every life. Beauty makes us restless when it should give us peace. The love we experience with others does not fulfill our deepest longings. The relationships we have within families seem too domestic to be fulfilling. Our job is inadequate to the dreams we have for ourselves. The place we live seems small town in comparison to other places. The ideal we have for our lives habitually crucifies the reality of our lives. And makes us too, rest, too restless to sit peacefully at our own tables, to sleep peacefully in our own beds, to be at ease within our own skins. Our lives seem too small for us. And we're always waiting for something or somebody to come along and change things so that our real lives, as we imagine them, might begin. It's the process that human beings deal with, which is what I think my life is going to be and then what it is. How I think my family's going to go and then what it becomes. My job, my career, my education, all of those things. Moreover, all of us have been wounded. No one comes to adulthood with his or her heart fully intact in, small, in ways small or traumatic. We have all been treated unjustly, violated, hurt, ignored, not properly honored, and unfairly cast aside. This is the human experience, and it spares no one. So there's no one in here who will escape what I just read. We all carry wounds, and with those wounds, we all carry anger, bitterness, and some non-forgiveness. He goes on, he says, a parable might help set the stage. In his autobiography, a renowned writer shares this conversation he had once with an old monk. Sitting with the saintly old man, he asked him, do you still wrestle with the devil? The old monk reflected for a while and then replied, not any longer, my child. I've grown old now and he has grown old with me. He doesn't have the strength. I wrestle with God. And he says, with God? And you hope to win? I hope to lose, my child. My bones remain with me still and they continue to resist. <laughs> As you age, you stop wrestling with your passions and you start to wrestle with your disappointments and your losses, and your pain, and your grief. He goes on, as we sort out more who we are, make permanent commitments, take on more and more responsibilities, we soon find ourselves beset by a new set of struggles, disappointment, tiredness, boredom, frustration, resentment. Consciously and unconsciously, we begin to sense that the big dream for our lives are over without ever paying the huge dividends we expect. We become disappointed that there's not more, that we've not achieved more, that we ourselves are not more as we sense ourselves stuck with second best, reluctant to make our peace there. Hmm. So this is what happens. Like all of us will experience disappointment in life. We're all going to lose. We're going to lose people. We're going to lose things. We're going to lose jobs. We might lose homes. Where do you go when that happens? What do you do when the winner script becomes a loser script? And the problem with living in a society that loves the winner script is if you're living a loser script right now, your temptation will be to not tell anybody and to fake it instead of to be honest with God and process it in community and say, I don't know what God's doing here, but I need help. I need help. Now, 
for us to be healed in our disappointments, that means those disappointments have to rise to the surface and they have to be acknowledged. And I just wrote down a few ways that I think I've experienced disappointment and things just haven't been exactly what I wanted them to be. And I've watched other people wrestle with these things. And it's our childhood and family of origin. Many of us just deal with disappointment that our family wasn't like the family down the street. We weren't as nice, we weren't as kind, we weren't as rich, we weren't as peaceful, we weren't as godly. Or we looked like all that on the surface and yet you lived in a home that it wasn't reality when the door closed. Some of us have disappointment around friendship. We struggled with betrayal, with people lying, gossiping, all that kind of stuff and we've lost friendship. We have disappointment. We have disappointment about finances and career, what we thought we would do and what we thought we would make and where we thought we would go in whatever career we've chosen just hasn't come to bear. Now we have disappointments in some ways in our marriage, in our own family and children. What I said I would never do or become to my own kids, I am. And I hate myself because of it. I thought I'd never, oh, I'd never get angry at my kids and yell at them the way my dad did me and you find yourself in a moment replaying your own childhood and this disappointment just rushes in. We find ourselves disappointed with church and Christianity. You're like, this whole thing's a big lie. (laughs) It sounds good, but I wish somebody would try it. I wish there would be someone who lived this out and we just walk around with these disappointments of what it could be or should be or would be if everybody would just get their stuff together. And then it gets deeper and we find ourselves disappointed with God. God isn't who he says he is because if he was, my life wouldn't look the way it looks right now. And the world wouldn't look the way it looks right now. And and ultimately where we land is on ourselves. We end up just deeply disappointed in ourselves and our behavior and our motives and our thought life in our performance, in whatever capacity we have, and we just sink under disappointment. And yet, Jesus says, while I have you there, (laughs) let me talk to you about some things. Because it's amazing, if you find yourself in that place of you'll open yourself up to God When you're disappointed, it like cleaves. When you have pain, suffering, loss, it cleaves a place like a trowel going into the dirt that allows him to place lessons and truth way deeper in your heart than in times of success. In our failure and our doubt and our shame and our grief, it's like this thing opens up and if you'll let him, he'll come and he'll just start to plant the kingdom in your heart. And just like Mary, Jesus is with these disciples in the midst of their disappointment. And the process culminates with him revealing himself to them. They see him in a new way. They get to see him in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise had he not met them in this way. And what's fascinating to me that Jesus didn't stop and say, let's turn around and go to Jerusalem. He kept walking with them in the direction of their disappointment He's like, you don't have to clean up. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to rally the troops and turn around and we're going to go back. He's like, I'll just keep walking with you in the direction you're going until you're ready to hear the lesson I have for you. And so much of pain we cause in other, other people's lives is we get with them on the road and we try to redirect them. 
before God's redirected them. And Jesus is just so patient. He just walks with them all the way to Emmaus. And then he reveals himself to them. And guess what? He didn't say, go back to Jerusalem. He disappears. You know what they did? They're like, they returned to Jerusalem. They went right back to where they should have been all along. God has got this, right? He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. You don't meet Jesus after you deal with this stuff. You meet him in the midst of the stuff. So people are like, I'm just waiting to come back to church until I stop grieving or until I get better. And I'm like, why? You're missing all the good stuff. The good stuff is bringing all that to church and letting God meet you in it. That's the beauty of who Jesus is. And then we see what's on the other side of disappointment. If you're here this morning, you see in their story, on the other side of disappointment is vision, faith, and enthusiasm. <laughs> Things you never think you will ever recover when you're in the mire of disappointment. And God's like, just wait, let me meet you here. Let me process with you. Let me work it out. And they return to Jerusalem with a new story, with a new vision, with new faith, and with like, let's go. Jesus is alive, and I saw him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Listen to what they said. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture? There's something about the voice of Jesus entering your disappointment that it burns in you. And that burning is, is like a burning away, right? He's burning away this stuff. But it's, it's also this beauty of passion, fire. He's renewing your strength toward what he's leading you into next. So here's a statement that I, I, didn't, um, I didn't create, and I can't remember who said it, so you might know, so I'm not taking credit for it. But it says, pain that isn't transformed gets transmitted. Whatever is in your life that does not get transformed will get transmitted and if you allow the disappointments of your life to settle into an identity, you will transfer that into everyone around you. You'll be like, this is what life is. You just kind of bear it until you die. And God's like, that's not what I called you to. You're an overcomer. <laughs> We've got victory. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. You've got to learn how to access it. How do I access it? Be with me. <laughs> Be with me. Rob Reamer um, said this, one of my favorite quotes ever. When I was in my mid-20s, I went to John Maxwell conference. He said, I will die with no enemies. There are people who don't like me, but the feeling is not mutual. That day, I made a conscious choice. Deep in my soul, I made a steely resolve that I will die with no enemies. Therefore, I've decided to bless everyone who curses me. This is the key. I've determined to hold no grudges, nurse no wounds, nurture no disappointments, and hang on to no resentments. I will process my anger and pain at all costs. I will. <laughs> Man, we add so much pain to our life by nursing disappointment, by nurturing grudges, nursing wounds, holding on to resentments. And Jesus is just like, listen, you can let it go. And you can let me carry it and I can heal your heart. I know you're just like, I don't know that I can do that. I don't know if Jesus can heal this. This thing's so deep. It's such a wound. And he's like, no, no, no guess what? I was wounded so that you could be healed. 
I have something to apply to these places in your heart. I'm going to invite the band back up. And we're going to wrap up with worship and just respond. And um, as we do, I, I just want you to... I came across this thing with Ronald Rollheiser, which is, and we've done it before, we've done it on Good Friday, which is just a process, it's a way to process your pain, process your disappointment, process your losses. It gives you a framework. He calls in his book, I love it, he calls it an umbrella under which to stand. <laughs> it's like your life, it's raining and you're getting drenched, and if you live by this way, it actually can protect you from the rain. It's a framework to process your pain and it goes through Good Friday, Easter, uh, the 40 days, uh, the Ascension, and Pentecost. It tracks kind of the biblical story. And the first one is just Good Friday. And he says, here's what you have to do if you want to process your pain. You have to name your deaths. You just got to get honest and you actually have to get extensive. You got to actually do some work to go deep. To like, where have I lost? Where am I disappointed with myself, with others, with God. And can I just be real about it? Just read the Psalms. God's not scared of your complaint. The Bible's full of complainers, and God loved them all. They're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be, God. <laughs> Wicked people are prospering. I'm in the desert. What happened? I was a king. God's not scared of our lament. But naming your death acknowledges that you've had real loss in your life. And it's just that, that image. The more you try to press it down, the more likely it's going to shoot out and you will not control where it hits when it comes out. And so this morning, if you could just actually name the things, and you might need to open your notes app and just start writing them down and get a piece of paper and just say like, man, these are things. And they're both far away and they're up close that I just feel disappointment, loss, pain. It's the things that if you think about it, your first question is, where are you, God? If you think about that person, if you think about that situation, you just say, God, where are you? Where were you? I've not yet come to know you in that thing yet. I can't locate you. You're like the disciples on the road. You're there, but I can't see you. I need to see you in that place. So you name your deaths. The second thing you do is you, you claim your births, right? It's, it's Easter. You have new life available. You need to claim it over against your losses. And this is where speaking faith matters. This may not be true yet, and yet you're like, this is true in God, and so I'm going to speak it over this thing now. I'm going to claim this new life. It's the reception of a new life. And this is really fascinating because you would think you name your deaths and then you grieve, but he's, but he's saying, no, 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 you've got to claim your births first because if not, you'll grieve from a place of like being under death. He's like, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve through the lens of the resurrection. We grieve through the lens of new life. So now that you've claimed your births, you've set yourself on solid ground, that, that, that rock on which I stand, now you actually have a place to grieve what you've lost to grieve your disappointments and adjust to the new reality. That's what Jesus is doing over 40 days. He's giving them time to adjust to a new reality where they will not have him in physical form. He says, things aren't going to be like they used to be. I need you to get used to the idea 
need you to accept that what was is gone and that something new is coming and I promise you the new will blow your mind. And you'll think it could never happen. And I'm just here to tell you... Jesus is. He always has newness for us. That's just who he is. So we readjust. Christians are not deniers of reality. We see the world clearly. We know how broken and lost our world is. We see ourselves clearly. We know how broken and lost we are apart from Jesus. We don't hide it. We fall on him. So we grieve. And this is probably the hardest part. Right? Mary grabs Jesus and he says, don't cling to me. Something new's coming. If you cling to the old, you can't receive the new. So you've got to let go the old and let it give you its blessing. Something new is coming, but you can't receive it if your hands are wrapped around what you had before, even though you don't actually have it anymore. Just like, just let go of that thing. Let go of the ideal that you had of yourself as a child, that who you would have been had you not experienced those things. He's like, guess what? I have something for you. Man, it will take all those things and wrap them up and it will make something new that couldn't have happened otherwise. Cling to the old. You've got to let it go. And this is the act of trust. You have to trust Jesus with everything you've lost. And you just say, everything I've lost, I place it with you and I trust you with it. I'm going to let you have that. And then you expect, you accept the spirit of the life that you are in fact living. You cannot have life, peace, and joy if you live in denial accept the life that you're living and say, God, I believe I can thrive in you in any situation. Paul's like, man, I've learned to be content in beatings, following, fighting wild beasts in plenty and little. It doesn't matter as long as I have you. So I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite our prayer team up. going to have some time of response. And I just want you to close your eyes for just a moment and, and uh, allow me to pray for you and just ask the Lord. So right now, just in your heart, would you just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there any disappointment in my heart that I have not processed with you? Because what happens sometimes is we think we've dealt with it, but it, it only we only think that because we've just kind of not thought about it. We've kind of just pushed it aside, but just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there any disappointment in my life? with myself, with you, with my spouse, with my children, with my boss? Is there anything in there that you want to touch this morning? You want to meet me in your presence and you want to speak over it. And you'll know it because your heart's burning <laughs> the same way the disciples are. If you've got some things you need to actually name, name your deaths, claim your births, like, this is the time to do it. That's why we have altars, so that you can meet the Lord and just say, Lord, I need to name this before you. This thing has been death in my life. i got to get it off of me and put it onto you. That's why you died on the cross, so that I could give this thing to you. But most of all, as you, as you just stand here for just a moment, would you 
just tell the Lord, say, Lord, I want to live. <laughs> I want to live fully for you. I want to be free from all entanglement, from all sin, from all death, from all trauma, from all pain. Lord, I want to live for you. Would you help me, Holy Spirit? you. Thank you that you meet us in the midst of disappointment, pain, loss, grief, trauma. There is no place that we have been that you will not go. Thank you for your patience and your kindness and your gentleness to process with us the deep wounds of our lives. Forgive us the church, Lord, where we haven't dealt gently with those who are in pain and those who are disappointed. We repent, Lord, of rushing your process of healing in human beings. And we just say this place will be a place of safety, yeah, a place of peace, a place of rest, a safe harbor, Lord, for those who have battled the winds and waves of this life. They can come in beat up, burned out, and they can meet you in this room and with these people. And slowly but surely, you can explain your kingdom to our hearts and piece it all back together. Yeah, so come Holy Spirit right now and do what only you can do.